excited today as we continue this journey, 30 Sayings of the Wise. Hopefully it's been beneficial for you as it has for me as I'm digging in and asking God, am I applying these wisdom truths to our lives, to my life, to my family, as I lead my family, my home, Grace Community? And today we dig into four sayings that are just powerful, just packed with power. And if we apply these truths, really, we can go from wisdom, taking that truth and thriving to the way God has intended us to. And so wisdom offers life. What if you knew you could possess something that offered protection, safety, health, contentment, and peace, and a future hope? What if you knew you could say, here, if I had that I could have safety, health, contentment, a future hope and protection. Wouldn't you want that? That's what we're going to find today as we're looking at these four sayings of truth. We're going to see if we apply these to our lives, this wisdom offers us all that. Grab your Bibles and we're going to take a look at these four sayings today. And turn to Proverbs chapter 23. Proverbs chapter 23 and verses 13 to 21. If you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Ushers will be glad to put one in your hand. If you don't have one, you can take this Bible home. It's a gift from Grace Community Church. But turn to Proverbs chapter 23, and let's read verses 13 to 21. Stand with me, and we'll read it out loud together. Proverbs 23, verses 13 to 21. Proverbs 23, verses 13 to 21. I'll be reading from the NIV 2011 version. Let's read this out loud together. Ready, read. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you punish them with the rod, they will not die. Punish him with the rod and save them from death. My son, if your heart is wise, then my heart will be glad indeed. My inmost being will rejoice when your lips speak what is right. Do not let your heart envy sinners, but always be zealous for the fear of the Lord. And there is surely a future hope for you, and your hope will not be cut off. Listen, my son, and be wise, and set your heart on the right path. Do not join those who drink too much wine or gorge themselves on meat, for drunkards and gluttons become poor, and drowsiness clothes them in rags. You may have a seat. Right away we see in verses 13 and 14 that discipline no one likes, but everyone benefits from it. I would say it this way, an undisciplined life is an unexamined life. And an undisciplined life will eventually end up in destruction. If you look again, look at the end of verse 14. It says, punish them with a rod and save them from death. All these verses that we're reading in Proverbs are principles that we should apply to our lives so that we walk in such a way that Christ has intended us and built us to live. So discipline no one likes, but everyone benefits from it. Most of us are familiar with Proverbs 22, 6. Train up a child in the way she go. When he's old, we will not turn from it. I love what one translator says. Point your kids in the right direction. And when they're old, they won't be lost. So the author here, Solomon, reminds us that we are directional markers. Like we are bookends to, to, to provide for our children as we raise them. That, hey, you can do this and you can do that. But anything outside of this, we're going to add correction. We're going to bring discipline to your life. Or maybe it's a circle for you. That's how Ann and I operate when we raise our children. We often talk about, we'll let them make mistakes inside of this circle. But we won't let them go outside of the circle because if they make mistakes now, that could wreck their life. But we learn from our mistakes and our children do also. So we have to have some kind of perimeter. We need to create something that says as parents, not hovering, not saying, no, no, don't go there. And we follow them everywhere. Let them make decisions. But when they move outside of the boundaries that we believe God has set up as parents for them, we offer discipline. We stand. We meet them at that crossroads of sin. We meet them at the crossroad of difference and say, this is why. Discipline is our primary responsibility as parents in getting our children to do what God would want them to do and for them to live to the redeemed potential. So if we don't, the proverb says, we will find them basically finding a life of destruction and death, or we can save them from that. Discipline comes in many, many forms, measures, and ways. 
I would often say this, and I'll say this today. I think you need to know your children. Not one form of discipline will work with every child. You must, must, listen to me, you must take into consideration as parents, and this is something Ann and I have tried to do. We have three children. Obviously, one is still 16. The two are adults now, 21 and 23. But each one is wired in a unique way, has its own personality and temperament. So we need to take that in consideration when we face them at the crossroads of them getting outside of the circle. I would say it this way. You must know the difference between age, personality, temperament, previous encounters, whether they're female or male, and you must know their love language. It's critical as a parent. It is just vital, even as a grandparent, as you have opportunities to care for them. So even from, a, you've heard me say it, but it's worth repeating in case you haven't heard, you need to know your child's love language very early. And you can know that from a very early age. Why? Because every human being has a God-shaped blank or a love tank in them that's fed a certain way that's filled up. And there's five different languages of love. And so looking at our kids, we can often say, this is Josh's, this is Hannah's, this is Isaiah's love language. And so as parents, we've tried our best to feed that love language. In the same way, we've done that when it comes to disciplining them. What I might say to one might be different from the other because this is their love language, words of affirmation. It might destroy them if I say something. While the other one, just tell me like it is. So you must see the uniqueness of your children as a parent as you discipline them. From my experience, our children are uniquely different. Each of our kids respond in different ways to discipline. You must also daily, listen as parents, daily remind yourself that God gives incredible grace when you sin and I sin. I often say this, and you should do this also, before you correct or discipline your child, make sure it's not done in frustration because you've had a hard day, things didn't go well. Make sure you pull away if you're married and you t- look at your wife or you look at your husband and you have a conversation that says, what do you think? What do you think we should do? It should be a collaborative, discipline moment. And please, if you're the mom who stays at home and the husband is working all day, don't become that, that mom that says, you wait till your dad gets home, he'll take care of you. Dad's had a great day at work. He comes home and the kids are like. (laughs) Because they're fearful that somehow dad's going to walk in and all of a sudden he becomes the ogre and he's had a great day. But keep in mind that every child is uniquely different. Remind yourselves of that daily. Way too many parents, way too many parents discipline their kids with unrighteous anger. So I say this, pull away before You have that conversation before whatever form of discipline that you're using. Make sure, please make sure. Pray, pray and ask God, Lord, Holy Spirit, help me to respond in a way. Help me to discipline my child the way you want me to. Because it is impossible to be walking in the spirit and have self-control and to discipline your child in frustration. So many parents Way too many parents. I'm guilty of it. Ann and I have been guilty of it. We, we haven't taken time and asked God, Lord, what would you want us to do in this moment? So when we walk in this moment, we're walking in the spirit. We walk in righteous anger or frustration doesn't override this, right, this frustration or this righteous anger in our lives. A lot of parents take their own frustration out on their kids over and over and over again. I think you must have all kinds of measures of discipline. This is a principle. I think if you're not careful in how you discipline your children, you will scar them for life. Let me, let me give you an example. When I think about Ann and I raising our children, we rarely, as I look back, rarely, after their infant age, spank them. Rarely. And we have two boys and we have a girl, obviously. But I can look back and I can rarely think of a time that we spanked our children after their infant age. We soon find out, found out that our kids responded in a different way than other kids did. We found out that this was the measure of correction that we needed. We also realized that it's easy 
very easy to, to respond in a frustrating way, in an unhealthy and even sinful way when you spank your children. So we, we found that other measures from time out to taking privileges away to having a conversation with them. I can't tell you how often we've, we've pulled our kids in, and for the sake of illustration, it doesn't matter. But I can tell you, we've, we've sat our children down and collectively looked at them, and we just said something like this because we knew their love language. Do you realize how much that disappoints God with what you did? Do you realize how much that disappoints us? Because we would look at them and say this. We know you can do so much more. Jesus lives in you. We, we, we know you're capable of so much more than making that decision. I can't tell you hundreds of times. As I look back over life, well, where our kids just begin to weep and just say, you're right. I'm so sorry. And, and repent of it. And I can tell you, we all didn't. And I can tell you instances where Ann and I were there, we began to weep and we saw their brokenness. And, and our brokenness was, was a product of their brokenness. And seeing someone respond to saying, we've just disappointed God himself. You must know your kids' love languages to know. There's all kinds of ways. We've taken privileges away and say, you know what? This weekend, this is something you wanted to do, but... We're not going to allow you to do that. There's consequences. And also be consistent. Follow through. Yet most of us, we have one way, one measure, whether it's spanking, that's it, and nothing changes. We wonder, why haven't our kids changed? Because maybe they're wired differently. Maybe there's personality difference. Maybe there's a temperament difference. Maybe you haven't prayed and asked God how you should respond in disciplining your children. Let me give you some insight here. These are just words of wisdom. You can do with them what you want in regards to spanking and why it's important to think this through before you say, that is my only MO. Obviously, spanking's not sinful. It's sinful when you respond in an unrighteous and unhealthy way. But let me just show you, what, put this into your sphere of understanding. Spanking shows the stronger is right. When you use physical punishment to show a child he or she did something wrong, you might be sending the unintended message that whomever is bigger and stronger decides what's right and what's wrong. So think about that the next time you just determine without praying and jumping right into this. Let me give you another principle when it comes to spanking. Spanking demonstrates that older people have the right to hit younger people. You're sending potentially the message that older and bigger people have the right to hit younger and smaller people. By the way, that's very confusing when you're disciplining your child for hitting someone else. Like, don't you do that. Like, wait a minute, mom. Wait a minute, dad. This doesn't compute. But if that's the only measure that you use and you haven't had a conversation with them, and your very thing that you're telling them not to do, you're doing, it won't compute to your child. Another thing to consider and run through your grid, spanking could possibly damage their self-worth. When children are hit by the very people who are supposed to protect them, it could cause a child to wonder, what is wrong with me? Spanking can increase the likelihood of developing mental health symptoms. According to the study, links have been found from later mental health diagnoses to higher incidence of childhood spanking for disciplinary purposes. Spanking could damage your relationship and trust with your child. By the way, do you remember being hit as a child and spanked as a child? Do you remember ever thinking after that took place? I am so grateful my parents just spanked me. You know, that, any form of discipline you could ask that for. But has, has there ever been a point you look back and say, yeah, I'm so grateful for that. I bet many of us have said, I hate you for that. Most can't learn your children when they're afraid or fearful of you. So if oh, something's coming and you're not responding in a godly way, you're responding out of frustration, if they know, and they're, they're cowering in fear because they know it's coming, most can't learn. Your children can't learn when they're afraid. Most doctors will tell you this. But it's biologically impossible to learn and implement higher order of thinking when fearful. 
The fear response triggers the fight or flight instinct. And adrenaline and cortisol flood our bloodstreams and brains. Our blood is diverted to our extremities and higher order frontal lobes thinking it basically shuts us down in favor of more reflexive responses. So literally, we can't, they can't even learn what you're trying and what you hope to discipline them from. They're just fearful and afraid. So it's either fight or flight. And it's impossible if they're fearful of you for them to learn what you're trying to teach them. So all I ask is this. Are you really asking God, what is the form, the measure, what is best for my children? Maybe it's, if you have a high productive son who's like most boys, maybe you just run him up and down the steps till he wears out and you teach him a lesson. But have you really thought through, is it working or am I just acting in frustration? And by the way, we're, we all fail at this. And by God's grace, he walks us through this. And I can think of times that, that I've failed too. We're not perfect parents. Just have a conversation with our kids right now. They'll tell you that. And we failed. But hopefully, Ann and I have learned from our experience. And wisdom says, I'm learning from this. I'm not going to do the same thing over with kid number two. I'm not going to do the same thing over with kid number three and expect a different result. I can think of a time we were in a restaurant, and it's, it's so vivid for me. And it, I've referred to it on many occasions because I was so frustrated. And I acted and disciplined for my son in a way that was sinful. I remember sitting in a restaurant, and, and, and it was a full day, and I was busy. And I was trying to get things done, and went in. Josh spilled something he was carrying on and got it all over him. And I was, I acted, and I didn't pray and ask God for insight, and we didn't stop. And, and I remember I just blurted out these words to him, like, what are you doing? And so I grabbed a hold of his hand and took him back to the bathroom. He's just six, seven years old, and he's standing there. He's afraid of me, just fearful of me. I'm washing him off, and all of a sudden, the Spirit of God hit me like a wall of bricks. Just, Jim, what are you doing? And I began to weep. I'm standing in this bathroom, and I looked at my six, seven-year-old son and said, I am so sorry, Josh. The way I handled this, I overreacted and overresponded. Will you forgive me? And I watched this little guy look up at me and said, Dad, I forgive you. Maybe somewhere along the line, you have went too far. Maybe you banged out of frustration and spanked out of frustration. Maybe, maybe you did something you're feeling really weird about doing. If you feel weird about how you corrected your daughter or your son, you know what that is? That's the Holy Spirit saying, you've grieved me. And we should respond to that and go to that child and say, I am sorry. Discipline no one likes. But everyone benefits from it. You could save your child, this text says. Now, here's what often happens. The flip side of this is this. Most parents don't reward their children for excellent behavior. But we're quick to point out what they've done wrong. Think about it. All day long, all week long, your kids, they did things that, was, that you had asked them to do. They brushed their teeth. They went to school. They got dressed. They were kind to their siblings. They, they did all these things, and, and you could name them. There's, there's hundreds of them. Yet, when they do one thing wrong, you focus all of your energy on that one area, all your frustration. What happened to the hundred things they did well? Listen, you must speak into their lives when they're doing it well by saying, great job. You want to see your kids flourish? You feed that part of their life when they're doing it well instead of always being the person, the parent, that criticizes the one or two things they've done wrong. You want to flip parenting? Make that a daily thing. Like today, I'm going to point out seven things that my kids did well. And I'm going to tell them and know their language. Maybe maybe the reward is, if it's words of affirmation, hey, you did a great job and I'm noticing that. And if it's quality time, you take them out that night for ice cream and you say, you look at my daughter's is quality time. You look at her and you say, Hannah, way to go. I've known. Or you let her get on the back of the motorcycle with you. Pick her up from school and as a reward and say, you're doing the right thing. Feed the love language as a parent, even in the positive side. How many of you as parents even process that? Or it's no, 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 no. I've often seen 
and witness. These very same people that all they do is correct instead of reward are the very same kinds of people who spend the rest of their lives criticizing everything that ever happens. In the workplace, on the sports diamond, in the home, in the local church, these same kind of people can see thousands of other good things, yet they'll see those one or two things and they hammer and hammer and hammer and hammer. Don't be that kind of parent. God disciplines those he loves. He tells us in Hebrews. We should discipline our children so that we save them from death and destruction. Look at the next pack full information on wisdom. Look at verse 15. My son, if your heart is wise, then my heart will be glad indeed. My inmost being will rejoice when your lips speak what is right. Wise kids make happy parents. Any amens out there, parents? Wise kid, come on. Any amens out there, parents? Wise kids who make wise decisions make happy parents. Indeed, my heart is blessed. But listen to me. If you want your children and you desire that your children make wise choices, don't ask them to do something that you're not willing to do. Like, don't look at them and say, don't do that. And then you go and do it. You influence them more by your actions than your words. When a parent hears their child speak for truth and then stand for truth, it brings life to their bones. Nothing brings us greater joy, as I look at children today, than to watch our kids make wise choices in their lives. The opposite is true too. Unwise decisions bring grief and misery to a parent and wears them down. It is critical that we show them the way through it. Your integrity means something to them. They will model what you model. You want to help your kid learn a principle? Live it out in front of them. Just don't tell them about it. Read it to them. Show them by the way you live your life. The more consistent you are in your integrity, the more impact it'll have on your children in their lives. So make sure the things that you want from them, you are living out too. You want them to be healthy spiritually, you work at being healthy spiritually. You want them to be fit physically, you show them fit physically. You want them to be strong emotionally, you show them how to be strong emotionally. You want them to be lifelong learners, you become a lifelong learner. Your lips will speak what is right. They will do what you do. Let me give you just a small example. My wife does thousands of things that are just awesome. She does. She's an amazing wife, amazing woman. I am blessed to have Anne as my wife. One of the things she does, and I often said this, but it's great for this illustration, she makes the home a place of peace, a place of refuge, a place of praise. No matter who comes in, we want our home, especially for, we want our kids to want to come home to their house. Like, we don't want to think, oh, boy, I can go home. What kind of mood dad's going to be in tonight? What kind of mood mom's going to be in tonight? Like, do you create that kind of environment? Dad, I hope he didn't have a bad day at work because he had a bad, hope they won last night's game because they didn't win last night's game. It's not going to be good. I hope the Bears win today. Holy cow, dad. Like, create an environment that your children want to come home to. My wife has worked really hard at creating that environment. Hopefully, I have also. Try to make our house a house of praise. And so we often talk about praises. What did God do? Tell me about your day. Tell me about this. And we'll sit around the table and we'll talk about it. Like, and we're like, yeah, go God. Because when we speak forth praise, we overcome the enemy. Let me give you a small example. Just hold on for this example because the tail end is much more important than the front end. This week, I went running at Benton Trails to put in some miles. And the time that I ran wasn't a normal time. In fact, rarely do I run at this time. But because of schedule and sequence of things and preparation, I wasn't able to go when I wanted to go because we had some plans on the docket. And so when I went running at Benton Trails, I went at a time I normally don't go. So I ran, ran my time, ran my miles I was putting in. And after I get finished running, I worked my way down to the, down to the stream, down to the creek there. And I, and I had some time with God. I, I built an altar and just cried out to God there. And, and so as I'm having time with God, 
right when I got up, I prayed, Lord, I pray that you'll use me in a powerful way so that you get greater glory. As I'm leaving the woods and working my way back up to the trail, I see this guy running. And I waved to him because he's probably wondering, what the world is this guy coming out of the woods for? What's he doing down there? So I walk up and he stopped on the bridge. And as I'm working my way out to my vehicle where it's parked, I said something to him. I said, hey, how are you doing? Good to see you. Did you just get finished running? Just, just felt like I should engage him in, you know, what, why, where, what, what's he there for? And so I asked him. And so I began to walk away from this encounter, and I'm walking towards my Jeep. You know, one of the things I think you should always do is be aware of the room that you're in, always know what's behind you. So I'm walking away, and I notice in my peripheral vision, he's running towards me. So I turned three quarters. See this guy running towards me. And as he got closer to me, I felt compelled by the Spirit. And I normally don't. I went right after it. Like, I said, hey, hey, how, how, how'd your day go? He said, it didn't go too well. I said, by the way, the reason I was down over the hill, I was just having some God time. So you wonder what I was doing. I was down there. I said, I believe in Jesus. And I was just, it was my chance to get alone with him and lift him up. And by the way, I said, I was doing with a whole bunch of other men. They're doing the same thing. And, and it was kind of as a group that part of our church. And, and I told him this story about why I was doing what I was doing. And, and I asked him how his day went. And he said, you know what? It was a really hard day. It was a difficult day. And you could see from his facial expression. In fact, he said, I, I, I left early because I, I couldn't handle I was overwhelmed. And he said, and I left there, and he said, I needed to talk to someone. And the people that I wanted to talk to weren't available. Right away, the spirit just checked me and said, Jim, stop. This is important. And I'm looking at this guy, and I'm standing there talking to this guy. And he says, oh, yeah, and by the way, he says, I go to your church. <laughs> oh, you do? He said, yeah, I go to your church. He said, I've been coming for about nine months and on and off. He said, and I know you don't know everybody, but I go to your church. And he said, and he said, oh, yeah, and by the way, I'm one of those guys that you're talking about. I'm in Fight Club this chapter. I said, oh, you are. So you knew why I was down over the hill. He said, yeah, I know why you were down over the hill. He said, let me tell you something, Pastor Jim. He said, at home, I knew that things were, weren't good. And he said, I was stressed out and things weren't good. And he said, I heard you say one time in a sermon that you run on Benton Trails. He says, I normally don't run on Benton Trails. He said, I normally don't run at this time. He said, you know what I did, though? He said, before I left the house, I prayed, dear God, let me run into Pastor Jim on Benton Trails tonight. <laughs> so we're running. He's, so he comes and runs. Now, there's about seven miles of trails here at Benton Trails, seven miles of running. Now, think about how great our God is and how much he loves us. So I got done running. I'm getting done running. I'm looking up the hill as I'm getting done running. He's completing his run at the very same time, at the very same spot. And I soon found out, as we're standing there, that he was at a crossroad in his life. And God was chasing him down. Make a very long story short. He trusted in Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior on that trail that night. And we praise God for that. But here's what I want to Here's, here's the good. So I'm sitting around the dinner table and I'm telling the, the kids and we're telling this story and they're like, that's awesome. <laughs> but that's not the best part of this story. A couple of nights later, Wednesday night, I'm in bed and Isaiah was out a little bit later and after youth group, he went out with Colin Michael who, who's walking with the Lord in a great way right now. Praise God for that. They went to Taco Bell. Isaiah drives now, obviously, and Colin does too. And they went afterwards for accountability. They're, they're accountability partners. They got some tacos, and they're sitting across, and they decided, hey, let's pray for our food. Let's pray for our day. So they bowed their heads at Taco Bell, and they're praying, you know, praying for their day, praying for their food. And, he's, and Isaiah's at my bed. He's leaning. He, you can see just grin on his face. He's got his arms up on the bed, and he says, Dad, then this guy, he came walking up. This guy walked over. He says, I just want to tell you, I saw you guys, you teens praying, and I am blessed by that. And they went on to say this. He said, you know what? And, he said, and Isaiah said, yeah, well, we love Jesus, and you know, we're here studying together and keeping each other accountable. And, and then he, said, he asked him a little about his story. He says, yeah. He says, I got saved in jail, in jail ministry. He said, people, he asked, and they asked Isaiah, where do you guys go to church? We go to Grace Community. Grace Community? Somebody from Grace Community led me to Jesus. So here's Isaiah. Now listen, here, here's the cool part. Not, not to bring glory, all to God, all to Jesus. Isaiah's on my bed, and I'm in bed going, yeah, yeah, yeah. But why? My son, if you're wise and your heart is wise, then my heart will be glad indeed. If you want your children to chase after Christ, 
then you ought to be chasing after Christ. Your actions are way more powerful than your words. Powerful. Then their lips will speak what is right. The immediate pleasure of sin, tell your teens, cannot be compared to the ultimate hope we have in Jesus Christ. Let me speak to teens here today, just that are here today. Just some words of truth that your parents have spoken to you, and, and you should listen to them. Because they would agree with me, and I agree with them. But listen to me as a teen today, when that peer pressure begins to surface. The students that you are so concerned about what they'll think about you, that boyfriend that you want, that girlfriend you want, that, that, that cool running back, that, that, that guy can shoot the three from 25 feet, the, 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 the clicker, that music group that you want to fit in, all those cool people that somehow want to pull you in, that once you get pulled in, they want to pull you away from Jesus and, and cause you to, to, to consider to do things that Jesus wouldn't want you to do. Let me just tell you a truth about that. That if you're trying to find your identity in a clique, in a group, in a performance, and not in Jesus Christ, you are in trouble. Let me also just encourage you this way, teens, please. 95% of all your classmates in high school, 95%, 95% of them, that somehow are trying to influence you, and in some of the small percentage, maybe in the wrong way, and you're worried about what they think. 95% of them, once you graduate from high school, you'll never speak to them again. Never. And only five or six of, 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 at a, at a maximum, and a minimum is one or two of anybody that you went to high school with will ever be a good friend to you again. So listen to me. Stand for Jesus even if you have to stand alone. It is worth it. When you stand for Jesus, you make your parents' heart filled with joy. Am I right, parents? And a wise child follows God. Look at the next principle, next saying here, verse 17 and 18. Do not let your heart envy sinners, but always be zealous for the fear of the Lord. There is surely a future hope for you, but for them, their hope Your hope will not be cut off, but their hope will be cut off. I would say it this way. Eternal life is far better than any kind of life the world has to offer. Any amens for that? And your kids must see that. Let me address the whole concept of wisdom. Let's back it way up. Let's go back here to the beginning. We know from Proverbs that the beginning of wisdom is to fear the Lord. The beginning of wisdom, so if we want to be wise, the beginning of it, the very first foundational footing is to fear the Lord. And wisdom is built from that. So the beginning of it, the end of wisdom, or what kills wisdom is then what? Not fearing the Lord. So if you want to be wise, you must fear the Lord. As soon as you don't fear the Lord, guess what? You lose your wisdom. The beginning of wisdom, and then we know from Proverbs this to be true. The fear of the Lord leads to life, then one rests content, untouched by trouble. So what does it mean to fear the Lord? Like, is it just you're afraid of him? What does it mean to fear the Lord? Well, here's some bullet points that I've put in here, broken down. These are some thoughts that I've processed on fearing the Lord. To fear the Lord means to honor and respect and revere him. It's to place him above all. It's to say, I honor his ways above my ways. I respect him above anybody else. No one compares. There's no close seconds to what God would want. To fear the Lord means to be concerned in every situation with what God would have me do. So I need to make a decision. I wonder what God would have me to do. And how do you find that out? Lord, I'm uncertain here. You told me that I can ask. If anyone lacks wisdom, that you'll give it. Lord, what would you want me to do? So we consult him. To fear the Lord is to have an understanding that everything we do reflects what we believe to be true about our God. So I did this. Does that reflect to be true? What you believe about God? Like that action? That God is a holy God? That God is a righteous God? That God cares about the oppressed? 
that God cares about the impoverished, that God sent his son Jesus to evangelize the world. Everything we do should reflect what is true about our God. I would say it this way. Here's, here's what it means to fear the Lord. To live as though he's in every room that you're in. Think about that for a second. Every room that you're in. Just, it, it's to live as though Jesus is in the room. So when you're about to do something, you think, what do you think? And you realize, oh, can't do that. Jesus is here. And by the way, doesn't Matthew 28 said that once we come to Christ, that lo, he is with us always, even to the ends of the world. Doesn't the Bible say that greater is he that's in us and he is in the world? Doesn't the Bible say that once we're saved, we're sealed with the Holy Spirit? Doesn't the Bible say that he lives in us? And so everywhere we go, guess what? Jesus is already in the room, but you need to acknowledge it. Another thing I would say about what it means to fear the Lord is to be God conscious daily. It's having an awareness as you wake up in the morning. There's a living God, and I should serve him, and I should follow him, and he honors those that honor him. To fear the Lord means to know that his name is on the line in our lives. Like, what we do reflects what we believe about Jesus. His name is on the line. To fear the Lord means to know that we are accountable for our lives, that we'll stand and we will before God. And not only is our God a a loving and righteous and merciful God, he's a just God. To fear the Lord is having awareness that our standing with him could be changed as a result of our sin in the things that we're doing. To fear the Lord is to have an acute awareness that God hates sin and is a just God. To fear the Lord is to be more concerned with what Jesus thinks than anything else or anyone else. Having a healthy fear of God acknowledges God knows what is best. And keep in mind, this next statement I'm about to give you is packed full of truth. Many people want to tame God into a non-threatening nobody. But if we redefine God as a God who makes us feel comfortable, a permissive buddy who exists only to bless us and give us what we want, we will not fear him the way he deserves to be feared. What it does not mean What fear does not mean. That we cower in fear and never take steps of faith with a fear of doing something wrong. Like, God's in the room. He's here. I hope I don't mess this up. I'm not taking those steps of faith because I'm afraid to mess up. No, he's telling you, if he's calling you, jump! Meet me on the other end of that jump. What it does not mean to fear God. That What it does not mean, that God is a -a whack-a-mole God. As soon as you do something... No. What it does not mean, that his grace will not cover my sin. Listen, his grace is far more than all of our sin. Any amens for that? Keep an awareness of that. What it does not mean, that all he does is keep track of our wrongs. You heard me say when we went through the study of Malachi, when I was talking about the scroll of remembrance that God keeps of us, the things that we've done, the deeds that we've done well, there's this scroll that he's written And he's proud as a father, not to give us glory, but it reflects him. And so he's written them down. It says in heaven, there's this scroll of remembrance. And we know as Christ followers that we'll stand before Jesus Christ one day at the Bema seat, Bematas, the seat of judgment. And we're not judged for the things that we've done wrong. We get to be brought before him, all the things that we did for him that glorified his name. And then in return, it tells us that we're rewarded. He gives us crowns, not for our glory. And then it shows us in turn in Revelation that we take these crowns and lay them at his feet. So this is picture. And I'm, I, it was this study, and, and I was studying through Malachi, and we came home. And actually, we, we, we were in the car doing lunch, and Hannah was with him. We were having a Sunday afternoon lunch. She said, you know what, Dad? I just realized, like, it just, it just put us all together. God only keeps track of the good things we do. She is so spot on about that. That's all he keeps track of is the good things that we do. Then it says this, look, it says, do not envy sinners because their hope is cut off. Have you ever met someone? They got everything. Like they have, they have all the money they need. Their kids are healthy. They got a great marriage. They got a great job. And you went to them, witnessed them, and they've said something like this. Why should I listen to you? I got everything I need. Have you ever had someone that doesn't it break your heart? Don't envy them. 
They think they got everything. But listen, the passage says their hope is cut off. They will be left holding nothing but hell. But our future is secure in Jesus Christ. You know, the grass isn't always greener on the other side. So, so don't envy sinners. I would say it this way, and I did this week. Our posture must not be leaning over the fence and looking for more, but kneeling at the fence and praising God that we have a fence. Praise kills envy. You want to kill an envious spirit that you might struggle with? Just continue to praise God. Continue to do it. Let me show you how important this is. In Revelation chapter 12, it tells us that we overcome the evil one, Satan, the enemy, by the blood of the lamb, Jesus' blood, and the word of our testimony. So we can overcome him when we praise him, when we speak forth truth. Let me also say this about our enemy. Our enemy, Satan, is a created being, which means he's limited. He can't be all-knowing. He can't be all-powerful because he's been created. The only uncreated being is our God. He's always been there. He's the only one who's omniscient, all-knowing. Anything that's been created has limits to him. Satan is limited. The only thing he knows, because he's a created being, is what he observes, what his demons report back to them, what we've already done. Now, he could project what we might do, but he's limited. He doesn't know. God already knows past, present, and future because he's the creator of the created people. And so think about that for a second. What that means is Satan is incapable of knowing your mind and your thoughts. He can't read our minds. He can't read our thoughts. So let me just think this for a second. You might say, well, I praise God all the time in here. Listen to me. That's not praise until it becomes spoken. That's just a thought. And if we know from Scripture that we overcome the evil one by speaking, we overcome the evil one by the word of our testimony. So when we speak forth praise, guess what it does? It takes this opposer and pushes him back. Do you realize in the Old Testament... In the Old Testament, when there was a battle about to take place, you know who they sent out first? They sent the worshipers out first. They didn't send the grunt infantrymen out. They sent worshipers out. You know what worshipers did? They played music and they sang. Why? Because praise overcomes the evil one. So think about that for a second. So you might be one of those people. Why praise God? I praise him all the time. Like maybe you're one of those, even in the, we, we live in a social media world and you see something on social media and you think, wow, that's awesome. Praise the Lord. But if you never speak it, it's just a thought. So if the, the Holy Spirit prompts me, if I'm seeing something, you know, I do, I'm typing praise the Lord. Why? It pushes back darkness. It overcomes the evil one. And if you're just thinking it, it's not praise. It's just not. Oh, let's, let's, let's bring it down to local church. Sunday morning worship services. We stand, we sing. It's time to praise God. Speak forth. Maybe you come from the bent that says, you know what? My personality, like, I'm, I'm, I'm wired this way. I don't like to sing. Well, the Bible says in Psalm 100, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all you nations. The Bible says just, he doesn't care what it sounds. And the Bible also says in the Gospels, if you don't praise and I don't praise, then the rocks and trees will cry out. So Ann and I even have this ongoing thing, you know, wouldn't it be something if we get to heaven one day and the way we worship God on earth, that's how we're going to have to worship him for the first thousand years in, in, in heaven. Wouldn't it be something like if you stood up and you're wanting to. So barely, no, you're going to do it like you did on earth. Now think about this for a second. When you worship God, maybe you're saying, you know what? I, I can't sing my voice. You know, the Bible says make a joyful noise. And if you think that this, now I understand there's times of introspecting. There's times of reflectiveness where you're just reflecting in God. But listen, unless you open your mouth, you're not pushing back the enemy. So why wouldn't you as the father, as the husband, as the gatekeeper of your home? Why wouldn't you just make a joyful noise while you're with your family? And while you're doing that, you know what's happening? The enemy is being overcome. Push back. You might say, well, that's not my personality, Jim. That's not me. I, I can't sing. Well, let me tell you something. I've seen you at football games. I've seen you go, yeah. 
I watch you cheer on your kids. I watch you post stuff about your kids. I watch you when someone scores a touchdown. I watch you engage in social media when it's your time. Blah, blah, blah. So it's not personality. It's a choice. You know what? There might be a stronghold in your life and you don't even know it. You might be believing a lie that you are incapable. And why would you be opposed in this area? Why? Why? Now think about why. Because the enemy is overcome when you speak forth praise. Why wouldn't you be opposed in that area? So listen, Sunday morning. Sunday morning worship services. I've seen you guys. You sing songs from the 80s. They'll come on the radio. But you see here in services. I ask you to ask the Holy Spirit if you need to reevaluate your worship. Because praise kills envy. Praise overcomes the enemy. Praise helps us to see that we are much better off. We have a secure hope. Look at the next saying here. So much good stuff here today. I wish I had more time. Look at verse 19 to 21. Listen, my son, and be wise and set your heart on the right path. Do not join those who drink too much wine or gorge themselves on meat. Sounds like Labor Day weekend, doesn't it? For drunkards and gluttons have become poor and drowsiness clothes them in rags. I find it interesting. We're 15 sayings in of 30. And Solomon already speaks twice about drunkenness and gluttons. There must be an issue amongst Christians in that area. Already, he's addressing it twice. I would say this way. Excessive sinful behavior will destroy your life. We must remember, just because we can do something doesn't mean it's the wise thing to do. You already heard me talk a couple weeks back about drinking. I've said that drinking itself is not sinful. Drunkenness is. And you heard me say, I choose not to drink. I don't drink alcohol. You heard me say that because I think it's a wisdom issue for me. I choose not to drink. Because of the position that God has me in, I don't want to influence people, so I've chosen not to. You've heard all that. It's not time for that. But it says, do not join in with those that do. Do not join those who drink too much wine or eat too much meat. Gluttony is a major sin issue in the Christian church. We eat way more than we need to. Gluttony is the sin that is excused, yet it causes as much damage as any other sin does. Gluttony digs its own grave with its own teeth. By the way, the fruit of the Spirit, if you look at it, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, selfishness, and self-control. If you are walking in the Spirit, it's impossible to be a glutton. It's impossible to be a drunkard. The second you overeat means you're not walking in the Spirit. The second you overdrink means you're not walking in the Spirit. Solomon says a wise man removes himself from these kinds of settings or he will be tempted to be like him. Here's some questions I have for you to ask regarding eating. Just some practical steps that I've thought through that I process and hopefully you'll process if the spirit should lead you to. Do you live to eat or eat to live? How about this one? Are you thinking about food all day and can't wait to find out what your wife has for supper and you text her three times before you get home? Seriously. You might have an issue. Do you eat to bring comfort to your life? Like, I just got to have that ice cream at night before I go to bed because it feels so good. It helps me. I got to have that pizza because it's been a hard day. We need to go out tonight because, you know, it's been rough and food helps me bring comfort to my life. Ask this question. Can you say no after one serving? Is it possible for you to say no after one serving? How about this? Have you given up on getting on top of your health because you like food too much? Here's some questions to ask regarding drinking alcohol. Ask yourself these questions and ask the Holy Spirit to answer. Just between you and the Holy Spirit. Do you need it to unwind from your day? Listen to me. If there is a pattern in your life where you need this to unwind from a day that was difficult, 
you have an issue. You have a problem with alcohol. If you are asking for anything else to bring comfort or to unwind you and give you peace, then Jesus Christ, you have something that is mastering you. Another question I'll give you regarding alcohol. Are there regular patterns or time of day when you have to drink? Soon as I get home from work, I got to have it before I talk to my wife. As soon as I get home, I got to do it. As soon as there's a lunch break, as soon as, are there patterns in your life that you're like, boy, I can't wait till this time. I made it. You probably have an issue with alcohol. Do you drink to get a buzz or to feel differently? Like, I just like how it feels. It makes me feel like I can just relief, be relieved. If you're drinking to get a buzz or to feel differently, you have an issue in your life that needs addressed. Do you drink because you feel pressure to be accepted? Everyone else is. I don't want to be left out. I don't want to be part of that group. It might mean that you stand for what the Holy Spirit is telling you when no one else will stand with you. Do you drink to numb your problems and get ready for bed? Like, ah, oh, that wine. I just got to get that glass of wine. It just unwinds me. It just, whew, like, I feel so much better. It's like, it's been a rough day. The kids, oh, discipline, Pastor Jim. You have no idea. So I take this wine. I feel better. It gives me peace before I go to bed. Listen to me. If you're relying on anything else than Jesus Christ, you have a problem. How about this? Do you keep a stash just in case you really need it of alcohol? Like you make sure, honey, make sure we're stashed up because I know this is going to be a hard week. Honey, make sure this is the weekend. This is the weekend. It's Labor Day. Like, I worked hard. Work hard. Drink hard. (laughs) You might have a problem. Wisdom says, listen, my sons and daughters. Set your heart on the right path. Maybe some of us need some exit ramps. And maybe the Spirit of God has already convicted you. Now, listen. If he already has, and maybe he's already affirmed you. If he already has, listen, don't grieve him. This might be the very day that you make the changes. You apply that wisdom so that you find life. And you can thrive. Why? So that Jesus gets greater glory. Stand with me, please, would you? At the end of this service today, here in the main and the link, you'll see elders up here. They'll have green tags on. They're here. They're the leaders of our church also. And they'll meet you for prayer requests and concerns. And maybe you just need to come and you say, I just need to talk to you. They'll be on both sides of the link and the main, standing right up front with the green tag. Come and talk to them. Let's pray. Lord, I pray, God, that we would live the way you intended us to live. There's a lot of truths in these sayings, God. I pray that every one of us would ask the question to the Holy Spirit. What's in it for me? Lord, you designed us to thrive. You made us for so much more than where many of us are at. I pray, God, that we would take these truths of wisdom and apply them. And we would just thrive so that you get greater glory. In Jesus' name, amen.